all of a sudden we've equated knowledgeability to wealth, which by the way, I met really rich, dumb people and really smart people that haven't made money because they're early in their career for whatever reason. And the fact that we, we've just set this arbitrary standard in the US of who can invest in these things or not, and we've excluded the vast majority of the population from these type of opportunities is, is ridiculous. Yep. It really is. The amount of wealth creation that has happened in the private markets is astounding. And only very few people have been able to participate. Oh, and then you wonder why inequality is on the rise in the US since the global financial crisis. Like, well, guys, like, update the goddamn rules. This episode is brought to you by the Chronicle Protocol, a cost-efficient, transparent, and decentralized oracle. Chronicle has developed a next-generation oracle primitive called Scribe, which reduces oracle gas fees on L1s and L2s by over 60%. You'll hear more about Chronicle later in the show. This episode is brought to you by Toku. If you are planning to launch a token, already have a live token, are granting employees or contractors vesting token awards, or are just trying to figure out how to take care of taxable token events for your team, from easy to use token grant award templates through tracking vesting to managing tax withholdings, make it simple today with Toku. I know there's so much variety, but like I usually gravitated to Granny Smith apples. I love Granny Smith apples. But now I've, I've like tested and expanded my horizons. I've landed on Pink Lady. Pink Ladies. It's that really is, nice. That's fitting for you. Pink, yeah. What do you mean it's fitting for me? What does that even mean? <laughs> that's how I know you're bored is when you're testing apples. <laughs> <laughs> Folks, I was like three days sitting in Berlin, like trying to not be, have anxiety over running this marathon. I was sick. And so I was like, all right, maybe I'll get, you know, uh, 10 apples a day cures like. Yeah, so tell us about the marathon. So you ran the Berlin Fantastic. marathon. Fantastic event. I was, uh, so people might remember when we were going to the podcast last Thursday, I was feeling sick. I woke up on Friday, had fever. I'm like, oh boy. And I, my flight was like super early. So I, I'm like, yeah, I might as well just go. Like everything's paid for. So I got on this plane. I don't even know if I'm going to run. And it was just really nice. Like I recovered surprisingly well, not hundred percent. I still like had, <clears throat> you know, I, I'm still sick. I guess it's going around, but I ran it. It's third best time. I, my, I missed my PR by a minute and 56 seconds. So I ran 140, 249.15, two, two hours, 49 minutes, 15 seconds. My fastest was London earlier this year. And yeah, man, it was, it was fantastic. The course is amazing. It's one of the flattest, I think the flattest of the six majors. There's six major um, marathons. It's New York, Chicago, Boston, Tokyo, Berlin, and which one? Anyways. You ran a 249. So 249 is, so that's 121, 169 minutes. There's what, 26 miles in a 26 miles. So 26. 169 divided by 26 is six and a half. You ran a six and a half minute mile. At yeah. first 26 miles. Yeah. And the That's nice crazy. thing about how I did it, like it was not my best time. It was the best execution because I ran a negative split, which means every incremental 10K, I ran faster. Like I increased the pace and I was feeling super strong. Um, but I went in with zero expectation. I'm like, I just want to break sub three, which is con you know, considered pretty good time. And I did really well. So now I'm going to do New York in a month. I'm going to see you out there. So yeah. How long do you train for a marathon like that? Yeah. So that was the other thing. I got injured after London in April and I didn't run. I counted the runs that I had on Strava, six, 10 runs. I cycled most, like 99% of my training was in the bike. And of course, mm. like the aerobic capacity, like my heart rate was much lower in this marathon than the other one. It was just like zone two training for anyone that cares about this stuff. Like there's just the incredible amount of zone two training you can do. And that set me up really well. But my biggest fear was like your condition doesn't translate from the bike to the run one-to-one because -one, mm. you're using different type of muscle groups and recruiting different types of like fast twitch load. Anyways, not to get too into the weeds, but it was like a big unknown for me how I would respond to a marathon. I know I can run it. I just didn't think that I would be able to run it as fast as that because um, I hadn't trained virtually anything. So now I know it's great because the bike is super low impact, right? You can go on a hundred mile bike ride and then do it again the next day. You cannot do two marathon. I mean, the amount of impact that it has on your joints and your body is like, it takes a week to recover. Some people take more than, more than a week. So yeah, this is something that I love. Uh, I just get so much like the crowd, the people running. It's incredible, man. These, these things are just, there's like 30, 40,000 runners. Um, what, what, what made the last thing I'll say, what made it so important this time around is 
the world record was beat by uh, the, the female, like the women's time was beat. 211, which is crazy, three minutes less than the world record. And then Kipchoge, which is this guy from Kenya, he had broken the, the world record like 201. And it's always been this idea of like, can, you, can someone run a marathon sub two hours in a sanctioned race? And he did not break it, but everyone was speculating that he would this year. So, you know, it, it will be broken um, in the next year or two. I think someone will run a sanctioned race sub two hours, which is insane. Crazy, man. Crazy. I love that there are these records <laughs> that people just think are unbreakable and then yeah. they always get broken. You know, it, it really is just uh, amazing to see that, like, you know, it, it, how we set ourselves and we break these artificial barriers. Uh, but it's crazy what the human body can do. Yeah. The four minute mile. Everyone thought that four was an impossible mile. human feet. And then Roger Bannister. There we go. Yeah. Um, we got some we got some housekeeping. First off, do we you get a haircut? No. I oh. I don't. All right. I thought you got a haircut. <laughs> no. <laughs> All right. That's the housekeeping. Pot over. Pot done. Call Wait, it. speaking. No, 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 no. Speaking of haircuts, folks, Yano needs to shave his head. And I will, <laughs> I will, I will, I will stop, it. I will stop coming. I will stop coming and showing up until Yano commits to shaving his head. You decide when, man, you know, like you're going to be in holiday pictures. Like your hair can grow back if you shave like in the next episode but if you wait further like you're gonna have thanksgiving and christmas as a like just, <laughs> if i were you i would like do it pretty be shaved to das london so blockworks announced this week we that uh we are moving das to das london the original for anyone who's been following so we have blockworks has two conference brands one is permissionless permissionless is like our huge event that we had a couple of weeks ago um das is our institutional buttoned up crypto conference it's probably the only crypto event where still people are still wearing a suit and a tie um, we've hosted it. It's it's the first big conference we ever hosted back in 2019. We've hosted seven digital asset summits in the past. This will be our eighth. Uh, we had the idea several months ago to go to uh, to go to Washington D.C. So that's where DAS was originally supposed to be, March 2024. And after conversations with with a bunch of the big crypto protocols and companies and funds, we realized that sending a bunch of protocols into the belly of the beast, D.C., might not be the best idea. In uh, very heated regulatory environment. So we're moving it to London. Super excited about that. I was telling you before we hit record, uh, it's it's probably one of the best responses we've ever had to a conference. We've got a ton of inbounds um, of, from sponsors wanting to sponsor, big speakers, some big folks in like the UK government. Um, tickets are already being bought. So we're super excited about DAS London. That is March 18th to 24th next year. Uh, tickets are $4.99 right now. It's the cheapest we've ever priced DAS. Usually they're, it's an institutional conference. Usually they're like a thousand bucks, sometimes even more. So tickets will go up soon. That's one announcement. It's it's like a one day event. Uh, this is a three day event actually. Oh wow. Yeah. It's going to be bigger than we've ever had it. So this year there'll be about 1200 people. Nice. Yeah. That's great. I love London. I mean, I think it's just, uh, what's, uh, Sunex, um, like has been really vocal about being pro crypto and being a, an innovation hub. And yeah, I mean, yeah. A16Z opened an office there. You know, there's just so much connectivity between Europe, Asia, the rest of the world there. Like London is probably the second biggest hub after New York financial. Yeah. Hub. Yeah. London has quickly become this like a very hot crypto hub again. And I think when we talk to a lot of folks on the ground, right, innovation is thriving. You've got some new institutional investors flocking in. You've got regulators like the FC, FCA that are taking this pragmatic approach to yeah. crypto oversight. You've got the PM. I mean, the PM has welcomed crypto with open arms. He's getting beers with crypto founders. Oh, yeah. um, you want to hear a, fun, a crazy yeah. story? Yeah. When I was uh, like, this was like when uh, Cosmos was launching and proof of stake was a thing. And so we, we at the time, was running validators. And I wanted to get clarity. This is like staked and all these companies were popping up, buy some trails. And we want to do our thing. And so we wanted to get clarity on how these things would get treated from a taxation perspective. Like the proof of stake alliance is something that I helped create with Evan, who ended up like just joining Bison Trails and like trying to get how tax, like clarity from the IRS, how like staking rewards would be treated in the US. So that was a good initiative that came out of that. But we also wanted to get a clarity on like, how do you run a validator and like, is it like money transmission, like if someone delegates to your validator in 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 Cosmos or in Tezos, it's quite different. So we just wanted to get clarity. So we reached out to the SEC, wanted to get a meeting with them. We actually ended up going meeting with them in San Francisco and the cryptos are shows up. It was like a pretty fascinating, at least understanding for me of how 
at the time, there was this idea that the, the regulators didn't know much about crypto and needed education. That was not the case. Meaning they were very knowledgeable and they knew all the different players. They knew the nuances mm. between. So that was like a pretty interesting experience. But it took it took a couple of months to get a meeting. And we didn't get clarity. <clears throat> um, needless to say, we were in London at the time. We requested a meeting with the FCA. We got it like within like that same week. And to me, it was mm. it was impressive. You know, it was this was back in 2008, 19. And it was it was like a stark difference in in the level of, hey, we want to welcome you. Um, I know you have questions. Let, let, and they gave us clarity, actually, very quickly. Oh. So it was fine. But you run a validator. And I was like, wow, th this is it's just a very different tone um, and posture towards just we're trying to do the right thing. We're just trying to get we want to understand if we could run a, a business. And if we couldn't run a business, then it was fine. Like we just like we can change stuff. And if we can't change it, then we'll, you know, at least we know. Um, and 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 it was very refreshing, actually. The yeah. and, and and I've heard the same from like, you know, the obvious was based there and I was doing a lot of work with them at the time. And, you know, Rebecca was on the regulatory pod. Like, you know, they they all I think unequivocally, so many people have been have had very positive interactions with the regulators out there. Yeah. Yeah, agreed. Yeah. So we're excited about London. Um, what yeah. were you doing, by the way? Were you running the staking? Yeah, staking as a service. Uh, staking as a service. It was called Eon. I did it with a few folks. Was this because you have this gap on like your you know proverbial resume after Elysium before Parify? What did you yeah. do in 2019? Was that what you were doing? Yeah, exactly. So I had a few, you know, I had a positions in in these protocols, and so uh, I was like, oh, so how am I gonna, you know, I want to, I want to stake. Because staking is so important, not just to get the it's to secure the network, right? And I didn't feel comfortable using solutions out there that I didn't understand, I didn't know. And so I said, well, I might as well just build it. And that sentiment was shared by the team that we recruited. Um, and and so we were a team of five. Um, we kind of knew each other um, for just being in crypto for a long time. And we we set out to build a a effectively a staking as a service company. Um, you know, for ourselves first and foremost, and then, you know, friends and other people reach out and say, Hey, and, and so we, we said, okay, we, we can, let's see if we can productize it. Mm. There's so many learnings from there. Um, we ended up shutting it down. Um, but of course, like there was other like staked ended up and buy some trails and so many others, like, you know, ended up having great success. The, probably the best thing to come out of that was understanding how sticky like user behavior was in crypto. Like if you were not the first Val, like validator in in the set good luck trying to like like acquire users once they delegate they don't want to switch validator even if you went out with lower fees they don't care and that was learning for me in tezos uh of, of how hard it was to like recruit and, and get delegations hmm. um of course it's a hugely lucrative model we're just too early like i i'll send you a link uh there's a post out in, in my Substack that talked about how I thought like all the different products, derivatives, like, like you could do so, and we still haven't seen much of it. I guess the other thing that came out of it, is that, that gave me a lot of conviction to invest in Lido because the guys that started Lido had the best, they would win these like competitions of like Game of Stakes or Cosmos. And they, they just ran the best, they, they had the best team. Technically, I think they were the best or one of the best. And so I, I knew them from, from that experience and they always kicked our ass. I was like, oh, you know, this is a team that I want to back. I know they're technically competent and Lido ended up being one of the best investments. Um, so, but yeah, there's uh, I think we've, now that the Ethereum's online and you have proof of stake, the market has grown so much. I and mean, that stream of income is, is fantastic. I mean, then you can, you can do so many different derivative products. I mean, we talked about it at permissionless, right? At that dinner, there, there is, still so much that you can build upon on this like stream of income that you get from, from, from validating. Um, and, and I think this could be really exciting. I think we, Lido is a great case study, obviously staked is, was acquired, Bison Trail was acquired. And so, um, these are really, they just spit out incredible amount of cash flow. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what, uh, what do you want to talk about this week? There was Coinbase. Coin, I think there's two things with Coinbase. They had this marketing campaign in DC. They brought mm -hmm. a lot of folks to DC for Stand with Crypto. There was also Coinbase launched Perps, right? They launched, uh, uh, re, they got regulatory approval to enable retail Perps futures trading. 
Yeah. Um, so that's pretty exciting. There's Pudgy Penguins. Did this thing in Walmart. That was kind of cool. Can you switch your camera a little bit so that we can... Come on, show us your Pudgy. Come I got on. my Pudgy. I didn't go to Walmart, I will admit. But I got I got, I got got this little guy. It's a cute <laughs> little guy. Luca. Is that a pumpkin? Is that like October themed? Yeah, I don't know. Luca sent, Luca <laughs> sent more swag... The Blockworks office. So Luca came. Luca Nets came on the Blockworks on, on Empire. Yeah, and uh, this is the guy who bought Pudgy Penguins. He mm-hmm. didn't start it, but he bought it um, back in April of 2022, I think it was. And he came on the podcast. He's like, "Hey, do you want some swag?" I was like, "Yeah, sure." So he sent he sent probably like six huge boxes of Pudgy Penguin stuff to the Blockworks office. So we're hooked up. Anyways, yeah, we got hey, that. Lucas, uh, you know, I don't, not in the Brock, Blockworks office, but. <laughs> I got one for you. I got oh. I got another one for you, but uh, Look but you gotta that. come to New York. That's so when cute. you come here next next month or in all November, right, all right. <clears throat> yeah, well, that's huge because you know, who do you think is buying this stuff in Walmart? I mean, because you can buy it in Amazon, right? You can buy it in other retailers as well. Like Walmart is not the first retailer. It's just it has huge distribution. Yeah, it's cool. I mean, <clears throat> we we talk. I've kept in touch with Luca. They Walmart originally was going to put it on like a kind of a row, basically. But what they actually got was these the the most coveted part of the 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 store, which is the front of I forget. There's a word for this, and yeah, in, in I, I remember because we were investors in GoPro. My, one of you know what I'm talking about? It's in the yeah, front yeah, it's, of an it's, aisle. It's, 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 it's an a aisle, whole yeah. section, so yeah. it says like adopt your friend, your forever friend, and it is tons and tons of and tons of pudgies, and I think they're like nine bucks each. And it's really, really okay. cool. I mean, they're available in 2,000 U.S. WalMarts with three exclusive toys. Every time a pudgy sells, holders get a royalty. I'm sure it's a tiny, minuscule amount because they're mm-hmm. only nine bucks. But you know that that could be a good cash flow. And um, does that does each yeah. uh, does e- does each of these physical items correspond to an NFT or not really? Um, <laughs> I don't know that actually. I'm not. I'm oh, not entirely think, sure. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then they have uh, so each toy. Here's your answer. Each toy comes with a QR code that unlocks digital traits, which can be redeemed in their digital social experience, Pudgy World, um, which is built on ZK Sync. And when you're there, uh, buyers can collect and connect with friends just from buying this this toy. Now, who Mm -hmm. actually does that? Probably not not your nine-year-old, you know. Yeah. son or daughter who's buying this pudgy they probably don't do that but there's i don't know probably a world of 15 year olds who do, who do that i mean if you remember yeah. do you remember penguin world i think it was called yeah that little game online so i mean yeah, it's yeah. kind of this again so and it was cool they they have these i, I, I remember tamagotchi i love tamagotchi like your online friend you have to feed it and all this yeah stuff. exactly exactly so <laughs> i think it's pretty cool i mean they have these they partnered with a couple of they partnered with me bits and d gods so every toy comes with a random <clears> trait <throat> From a different NFT project. Oh. There's um things from like you NFT composability. <laughs> NFT composability, physical composability. There so we go. yeah, I don't know. I think it's I think it's cool, especially I, at a time. I would love if, if I would love the team to come on, you know, after like three, four months of of data to tell us like things that I'd love to understand exactly that. Like who's buying it? And 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 all that data, like what's cohort, what's a are they buying one or are they buying ten? Um, who's actually activating the online stuff and what's the overlap between who's buying it and who actually has an NFT. Like a, I just would love to just, there's so many analytics here because you're stitching the real world with crypto and understanding kind of that activity would be hugely fascinating. Yeah. Uh, I think it's worth having an episode with them. Um, so but, yeah. this is crazy. The, the actual Walmart account on Twitter, like just at Walmart, millions of followers tweeted out an extra special welcome to, Mal- to Walmart Tweeted the penguin emoji. Said, "Shop the new Walmart exclusive pudgy penguins here." Pretty cool. Got to respect Luca for this. And correct me here if I'm wrong. Like I don't remember that pod as, as well, but I think a lot of NFT projects have gotten caught up in promising this very pie in the sky roadmap and you know virtual worlds and yada yada yada. When I think of how many have delivered, it's basically none except. But I don't remember. Pudgy penguins being very vocal or even mentioning that at all. They were just like, these are cute. I mean, when Luca bought them in 2022, he said, look, NFTs are basically all we're doing here is just creating IP houses. We are, we are putting IP on the blockchain and doing it in, in innovative ways. And the way that you have to do that is by creating something that's super cute. We've got that already with Pudgies, then creating a shit ton of impressions on social. So they've got, they they have like a million followers on, I think it's TikTok or Instagram. And then, uh, innovating with retailers and 
for anyone who's ever dealt with licensing, it is super hard to, yeah. you know, get your product <clears throat> inside of Walmart and yeah. yeah, respect. No, it's really cool. You know, again, these are aesthetically what I think pleasing, cute things. Like I would, you know, they're kind of nice. You know, it's a nice penguin. I have, I have kind of a plushy thing collection here, mostly of Harry Potter. And then a penguin, my mom actually gave it to I me. I see your Lego set in the background. Oh, yeah. I, I bought some more Harry. I mean, the Okay, folks. If anyone that works at Lego is listening to Empire, first of all, we're open to being sponsored by Lego because I buy Legos like crazy. And second of all, like, when are they going to issue NFTs? Like, the minute they issue NFTs, like, I'll just, like, go bankrupt because I'll spend everything. <laughs> it's just, like... It's it's amazing. I love I love Legos, and the price of Legos just keep going up. It's crazy. The yeah, collaborations are done. Like, talk about a um, a great brand. But yeah. they haven't done NFTs. Not yet. Not yet. I'm waiting. Waiting. All right. Let's talk Coinbase. Let's do it. So back in May, Coinbase announced Coinbase International. Starting with they had uh, the first product was institutional traders could trade via this API. They could trade. BTC and ETH perp settled in USDC. And um, earlier this week, they got regulatory approval to enable retail perps trading. I think it'd be helpful. And I, th I think they were received approval from Bermuda's Monetary Authority, the BMA, to enable perp futures for non-US retail customers. So now retail can trade perps. Retail outside the US can trade perps with Coinbase. Huge development. Um, can you maybe give us a lay of the land of like, where do you trade perps today? What are perps? Like just kind of mm -hmm. set up this conversation and and talk and give me give me the high level on perps and crypto. Yeah. So perps are one of those things that were uniquely developed in crypto. Um, I think BitMEX was the first one to come out with a perpetual swap. Um and I guess for people that are what is the closest thing in traditional finance, right? It is think of it as a it's very similar to a traditional futures contract. But it has a few differences, right? <clears throat> One, there's no expiry or settlement. Like these are just constantly rolling, if you will. Um, and perps mimic like a margin-based spot market. So that's why they kind of trade really close to, to spot, like to the index price. So they, if you have like an ETH perp, it usually very, or a BTC perp or whatever perp, it usually is very close to whatever the spot price is. What you what's really interesting is this idea of a funding mechanism. So you'll hear a lot of traders talk about the funding, like the perp funding is really high, really low to understand how much of how much of people are going long or short a particular asset. So just looking at funding mechanism is something that I observe in terms of how how overextended are you know is just a metric for me to gauge indication. Like if um and and the funding mechanism is used. So as, as more people go long something or short, the funding mechanism is dynamic and to really anchor and keep the, the, the perp swap close to the spot, right? Because you don't want it to deviate too much. And the, and the funding mechanism is really that the funding uh, rate is what keeps, is a mechanism that keeps the, the perp close to the spot, right? <clears throat> um, which is kind of different, right? Because the futures can trade very like the futures can deviate quite a lot from spot. And I think that's due to basis, right? But because you have a funding mechanism, these perps trade really close to spot. So, so far, so good, I guess. Good. Um, <clears throat> perps, I guess, have, you find them in different flavors, pretty much every major exchange like OKX and, you know, BitMEX and Binance have perps. Like FTX, this was like, Probably perps are one of those things that get used a lot in the exchanges. They're widely popular. Um, tell, of me course about like, tell me about the leverage on perps. That's where I was going. There's there's yeah. three different things, of course. One is the perp references a particular index or a particular like coin, right? Uh, you have the funding rate and then you have max leverage, right? Um, and what's really interesting is perp contracts don't require traders to post 100% of collateral as margin, right? Um and because of that, you can trade with a ton of leverage, sometimes up to over 100x, which, you know, kids don't play with fire, right? This is not an endorsement, you know, but just beware. Like, it's possible. I'm just I'm just not learning what is possible here. Um, and the margin, you have to post some margin. Um, and of course, that can be denominated in, in Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies 
and it really allows traders to kind of speculate on on the future value um, of of the particular underlying index, if you will. So you could go long BTC or ETH perp uh, with 33x leverage, right? And has no expiration, just kind of rolls. Of course, the funding rate is is the key there, right? If the funding rate's really high, you got to keep that. You got to keep monitoring that um, because you got to, you know, that basically eats into your profit, um, and you got to post more margin. So, um, <clears throat> and and the other component, I guess, is perps can not, you know, they, as I mentioned, they could be, you know, inverse linear. They can have some sort of ratio to the price of a particular asset, right? Um, and so you got to obviously understand how that works and. Uh, what is called like a multiplier, right? Um, so yeah, I, I don't know if there's anything else that is worth noting here. No, I think that I think that's right. I mean, the important thing to understand here is that the global so there's spot and there's derivatives, right? So spot crypto trading accounts for about 25% of the market. The global crypto derivatives market is about three times bigger than spot. I think roughly, I haven't, I haven't looked at the numbers in a while, but I think it represents about 75% of crypto trading volume worldwide. So there's this really strong demand. And the way that a lot of perps are traded today is probably either on kind of a, maybe a shadier exchange or in DeFi with like Quenta or DYDX. So actually Coinbase and actually Gemini both announced this week uh, offshore perps within days of each other. So I think Antonio from DYDX who's maybe obviously a little biased on this because he he runs DYDX, but he also has a really good take because he runs one of the biggest mm-hmm. uh, perp, yeah. perps platforms. Um, let me just share some of his thoughts. He I, said- I, I, Well, I, I just kind of clarify one thing with people uh, about funding rate, because I think it's important. Yeah. So when the funding rate is positive, longs are paying shorts. Um, right. and, and when it's negative, shorts are paying longs, right? I mean, again, I, I think there's one or two changes that actually have the inverse, which is really confusing. Like, there's not like a particular- standard across all exchanges. So you have to make sure they understand kind of the funding rate mechanism. Usually it's like eight hours where these things like funding occurs every eight hours, right? So kind of the funding rate is dynamic and is constantly changing based on how many, you know, what's the ratio between people going long and short, right? Um, and, and the payout of, of said, you know, kind of, uh, con, you know, pay, so, so anyways, just I wanted to clarify that, but go ahead. Yeah. Um, so let me read you some of uh, Antonio's thoughts, which I think were pretty uh, summed it up pretty nicely. He said, "Look, so Coinbase shared that they did 5.5 billion in volume in Q2 from uh, from institutional perps. Not that big of a number, um, but that's remember that's institutions only." And um, he points out, he said, "Look, there's continuing theme from the collapse of FTX that there's now a lot of FUD on Binance, right? And we we decided not to talk about some of those rumors in this podcast, but if you're on Twitter, you can probably see Adam Cochran and others are kind of calling out Binance for some things that they think are on the shade. And, and by the way, I just recorded uh, an episode with Tom and Brian Zur uh, yesterday and we went into detail. You did go into this. Okay, we're, great. We're gonna, uh, you know, some detail, yeah, but you know. Okay, and that'll be live here. Um, so Coinbase is, I think is, earned this reputation as being like the most trusted, most stable alternative to some of these, maybe what folks would think of as kind of sketchier exchanges. And now that Coinbase has perps, the question is, do users care enough about safety to move over? And for some users, I think that'll matter, right? But Antonio called this out and I, I kind of agree with him. He said, I've been repeatedly surprised how little users care about safety over my years in crypto. For example, when remember when Bitfinex got hacked 2016, everyone thought that they were done. A lot of people kept trading on them like nothing happened. So the biggest question is, will is will users want to move over? The other big question is, will Coinbase be able to iterate fast enough and be aggressive enough to compete in what is already a very competitive landscape for Perps products and in a, in a market that has probably benefited from less regulation? Because with Perps products, you have to be super aggressive. Listings, max leverage, features, chart trading, order types, uh, liquidity, ease of onboarding. Can Coinbase be as aggressive trying to be this very regulated company? So Antonio's uh, Antonio's take was that they take probably 5 to 10% of the derivatives market share in a year or two. Um, we'll see. They're very late to the centralized exchange derivatives game, but I don't know. We'll see, we'll see. I mean, look, it's it's huge, right? Because there's clearly a ton of demand. I think it's one of those things where it's it's a novel product. It's it's actually pretty sweet, um, and and so you know, I, I would think that this is something that is going to get a lot of traction. 
within the existing clientele of, of Coinbase. Because, you know, a lot of institutions can't can access these other exchanges that have perps. Uh, and so, you know, it's, as Coinbase gets more market share, I think, regardless of whether all these allegations or, or case, I think by and large, I mean, Coinbase is just, Coinbase and Kraken, I think, are two of the exchanges that will probably continue to gain more market share. Yeah. Um, you know, Coinbase has got a license in Spain. It's gone out and gone more and more licenses overseas to serve, you know, retail and institutional, right? And it has a coin, it has a, a whole suite of products. And I think this is a good extension of that in, in terms of something that clearly has a ton of demand and, and is a huge profit maker for so many of the other exchanges, right? I mean, so um, yeah, I mean, this is this is pretty key, I think. Yeah. So the other interesting Coinbase thing from this week was they brought a lot of folks to DC. They brought a lot of people into DC for uh, this stand with crypto movement and um, Gary Gensler. So here, so here's actually Kevin Owaki kind of laid out what they, what they did. So, so the first session of the day was they brought all these folks in from, I think it was 50 crypto or 40 crypto founders. I think it was 40 crypto founders. They brought them to DC from 15 different States that are kind of key States. Right. And they did all these cool marketing campaigns. They had these, uh, they had these cans that said like, wake up. 52 million Americans. There were cold crypto. brew cans. Which, and they were you know, cold brew. Anyone that knows is and another spot, potential sponsor, cold brew, if anyone wants to sponsor is, you know, I love La Colombe. Best cold brew in the market, by the way. Not endorsement, but. Look at this. This is. But the, you the see nutritional, this? The nutritional, the nutritional label, facts. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That was amazing. Uh-huh. Yeah. The nutritional facts. 87% of Americans want to update the financial system. 20% of American adults who own crypto uh, or, or own crypto. 22, uh, 22% of Democrats, 18% of Republicans, jobs, crypto is set to create by 2030, 4 million jobs, Fortune five, Fortune 100 companies that have crypto initiatives, 52%, Fortune 100 companies that consider crypto competitive advantage, 64%, savings of ACH payments, uh, uh, I can't see that word, but something, something, yeah. yeah, replace, yeah, got resolved by crypto, 2.6 Savings of Anyways. ACH payments ran on crypto rails, 2.6 billion. Countries yeah. currently exploring digital currencies, 130. Crypto owners with an income of greater than 100K, 75%. No, of less than 100K. Of less. Oh, less than 100K. Um, Americans satisfied with the current financial system, 9%. It's time to update the system and a QR code, which I don't know what where that goes, but probably stand with crypto. Anyways, they had that. They also had this big money truck, like a Brinks oh, truck, yeah. where you you know you deliver cash. Like and money, so the, the money, future money, of money doesn't, doesn't move, move on, on a money truck. Fucking genius! Brinks really, money. really, really great campaign. Um, so, anyways, first session of the day, they brought folks in to watch the Gary Gensler congressional oversight hearing live, which is really cool to have these founders and kind of sitting right behind them. And people were putting the like "stand with crypto" little sign right behind them. They got Which to is meet. reminiscent of like the the hot, like what was it the uh, Bitcoin sign way like years ago. Exactly, so kind of exactly. Like, I like that guy. I've met that guy a couple times actually. Um, he got fired, right, or something. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, that's okay. So anyway, I, I I thought it was super successful campaign by by Coinbase. I was watching CNBC and Bloomberg throughout the day to see if it would make its way to kind of mainstream, and it did not. So that was probably. I think we thought it was very successful, but maybe just on crypto Twitter. But it did feel like kind of the best coordination of policy and regulatory efforts, bring founders in from all across crypto. Uh, it you know best in DC for a long time. So yeah, just big shout out to Coinbase for kind of unifying the industry and making this very memeable content uh, with the cans and the trucks and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah, pretty awesome to see. This episode is brought to you by Chronicle Protocol, the best on-chain source for cost-efficient, verifiable data. For anyone who listens to Empire a lot, you know that we talk a lot about MakerDAO. Well, Chronicle Protocol is this novel Oracle solution that has exclusively secured over 10 billion in assets for Maker and its ecosystem since 2017. And for the first time ever, super excited to share here that Chronicle's Oracle service is now publicly available for anyone to use. Compared to using other Oracle services, Chronicle offers a 60% reduction in gas fees. They have an unparalleled level of transparency at Chronicle. They offer a dashboard that allows anyone to track the genesis and trajectory of the data it provides, marking this milestone in on-chain data availability. Chronicle is endorsed by a network of the most revered validators, including Etherscan, Infura, Gitcoin, DYDX, and MakerDAO. It is time for a paradigm shift in Oracle development, a future where 
data is verifiable, operational costs are contained, and the possibilities are immense. You can learn more about Chronicle at chroniclelabs.org. That is chroniclelabs.org. This episode is brought to you by Toku. Toku makes implementing global token compensation and incentive awards simple. With Toku, you get unmatched tax and legal support to grant and administer your global team's tokens. From easy to use token grant award templates through token vesting to managing tax withholdings, Toku understands every grant structure, token purchase agreements, restricted token awards, restricted token units, token options, token appreciation rights, and even phantom tokens. For legal, finance, and HR teams, it is a huge, complex task to have to comply with global regulations around compensating people with tokens, not to mention the payroll, tax obligations, tax reporting in every country that you employ someone. It is difficult, time-consuming, manual, and costly, and it is drawing more and more attention from regulators and governments. Toku makes this simple for leading teams across the space, protocol labs, DYD. DX Foundation, Mina Foundation, Hedera, Gnosis, Safe, Gitcoin, and a lot more. Reach out to Toku at toku.com forward slash empire or click the link in the description. Any highlights uh, on the congressional hearing? I saw some clips uh, that were... I think, yeah, yeah, Tom Emmer had some good clips. Richie Torres had good clips. Um, the takeaway, so we had some folks who were covering it pretty closely. The big takeaway is that both sides of the aisle are now joining in, right? There's Tom Emmer, who's Republican, Richie Torres, Democrat, uh, Mike Flood, Republican from Nebraska, Wiley Nickel, Democrat from North Carolina. There's now a bipartisan group of representatives that wants Gensler to, as they say, act for the, the SEC's failure to approve a spot Bitcoin ETF. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of them called him out, right? So... This yeah, is, you know, yeah, this is like the anti-Gensler movement. So we, Casey Wagner Block works wrote this article. The title is the anti-Gensler movement is picking up steam on both sides of the, of the yeah. aisle. You know, what's interesting is I, cause sometimes, uh, I think it was one of the first where crypto Twitter said, wow, it was a, they really grilled him. And, you know, and, and then I spoke with other folks, um, and they were like, you know, you know what, like he kind of like danced around it brilliantly. And, you know, I was like, okay, that's interesting because most people seem to think that, you know, he was really cornered and, you know, and he'd have good answers to a lot of the stuff, particularly, you know, his ETH security, like he wouldn't answer. <clears throat> I wonder what the feedback is now. And I think we, we ought to have a, an update on the regulatory pod soon with Rebecca, Jake and other folks, right. Um, to talk about this and other things. But one thing that I have found interesting was um, there's been a lot, like, the popularity of Gensler is also not really positive amongst private equity and hedge funds uh, because he's been trying to introduce like just new, more probably what they seem to think onerous kind of rules and um, for the private equity industry. And it's got a huge backlash. And well, not only, not only that, they, the rules that they've placed on late stage private or on public companies make it really tough for late stage private companies to go public. So what you're seeing is more and more companies staying private for a couple of reasons. It's bad IPO market, but also it's the costs of being a public company go up every single year, which incentivizes founders to stay private for long. Yes. So anyways, it's just uh, interesting to see that uh, sometimes we look around and say, hey, are we crazy? Like, are we missing something? It just has felt that, you know, we're not getting answers. And um, But it was just interesting to observe that the the reaction and of other other industries towards, you know, um, you know, Gary has, has not been as positive. Right. And so, you know, clearly that also weighs in all, all this discussion. Yeah. Um, we want to talk about Unis. There's uh there's some foundations like Uniswap and optimism asking for money. Curious to get your take on that. We could also talk about, um, block native shut down their, their relay. No, no. Uh, where do you want to go? We could talk about these AI valuations. <laughs> that's always fun. I mean, I, yeah, why don't we talk about that? As a, as a break from crypto, folks, Yeah. what's going on in AI land? Just a one minute. You see the secondary for AI, for uh, for open, open AI? I did not, I did not yeah. participate in that. <laughs> <laughs> glad, glad you didn't. So open AI is in talks for, to sell some secondary valued at 80 to 90 billion. That's uh, roughly 40% of Ethereum's market cap. 
right? Give or take. Yeah. What do you think about this? What? Oh, about that? 80 to $90 billion secondary. Probably a local top. Um, like Entropic also like got like, was it uh, Amazon committed? $4 billion. billion. Dollar. Which, yeah. which is kind of like a... Which I actually do use Anthropic every day at this point. I will say really? I, I, I like it. I mean, to be fair, it's like getting AWS credits. So like it was like it was like, yeah, we'll give you four million, but you have to use AWS. So it's kind of like a the the structure of the deal made a lot of sense, I think, for Amazon. So <clears throat> but yeah, look, um I've been obviously paying attention to AI. I just invested in a fund called Mythos, like uh, which is super early stage. They were very just on the size and I think it has a really good network and whatnot. And um like I want to have exposure to AI in my portfolio. I'm not going to be the one to do it. Um, I wonder Did you though. Say Mythos, M Y T H O S. Mythos Ventures. Do you know who ran a fund called Mythos? Ryan Ryan Sean Adams at Bankless. Before oh. pre Bankless, his fund was called Mythos Capital. Oh right, yeah, I guess. <laughs> yeah, popular names, I guess. <laughs> um, so uh, there's a great podcast on Nvidia. Um, and Taiwan Semiconductors, two actually, uh, it's by Acquired. So I, uh, this are just pretty illuminating. Uh, the NVIDIA one in particular, there's two actually. The most recent one is really interesting to understand like CapEx and why, like why now? Like how, like why did we reach kind of this huge inflection point where everything was just out of the blue to talk about AI uh, and NVIDIA in particular? <clears throat> but um, I don't know. Like it, it's really interesting because I wonder how much of this is going to be open source and how much is going to be monetizable, right? Um, and I also have questions around product. Like, I think there will be a lag between the amount of, and we saw this in crypto, the amount of companies that are going out and saying, you know, you search, uh, you know, public filings on Edgar SEC and like control F AI and every, like at this point, every company is like talking about AI and their filings because if they don't, then the market's going to punish yeah. them. I do think there's going to be a lag between like, I just wonder like, what's the best way to understand how companies are productizing AI? And, and what see, kind of- I'll tell you, I mean, did you see the Facebook? Did you see the Facebook announcement with their, you remember Google Glasses? Yes. So Facebook just did a partnership with Ray-Ban to, okay. to launch Facebook or Meta, Meta Glasses. And they actually don't look that bad. Huh. Um, I always thought Snapchat was-, was going to be the first to market with a pair of glasses that like really yeah. integrated AI. These, um, yeah, I mean, they look like Ray-Bans, but they're like full- all yeah, the AI like, features of Meta, sure. you can like, you know, you can be yeah. walking. I mean, down the I mean, Whoop, Whoop recently announced and Whoop like this wearable uh, to track yeah, like, yeah. a bunch of things. Like announced like a integration with uh, OpenAI. So, yeah, I, like I understand that, but I, I do, I, I do think that there's going to be a lag between when companies do the spend and what they actually productize. Um, some might move faster than others, but that might be that might be the disillusionment, is what I'm trying to say. Where people think, wow, it's really going to transform the business. It's going to streamline. It's going to increase your margin. You're going to yada yada yada. But in reality, I think there will be there will be really positive and successful implementations of that, and there will be not so positive that will take longer than what the market thinks or expects. And that's where we might see this disillusionment, where it's like, okay, like Magic Leap is an example, right? A different example, like different category, obviously, like augmented reality and VR. But these things typically take longer, and I think the market is pricing it to a point of perfection where the expectation on the impact and the timing of said impact is just priced to perfection. And invariably, when that happens, you know, there's disillusionment. So, do you personally use any of this stuff? I pretty much stop using Google and just use like ChatGPT. Yeah, yeah, I pretty much do the same. It's crazy. The new stuff. So I have the ChatGPT app. Uh, you can yep. go to settings and then go to new features. And then turn on voice and you can pick the voice. It is the best, like, vo- so I asked it a question and then it responded in this, vo- in, in, in the voice. And it was like a flawless response. In your voice? In, the, no, like in another person's voice, oh, but it I didn't see. sound like a, you know, robot voice. It, it truly sounded yeah. like if you put this behind a zoom with no camera on it, I would have thought it was a person yeah, and it responded things. instantly to this kind of tough question I asked it. And if you, you should use the data feature of it too, of ChatGPT. You can mm-hmm. upload a data set. It figures out what the data is. It cleans it. It denoises the data. It manipulates the data into like how it should be structured. And then it represents the data visually and creates something better than, you know, you did IB. Like then you're 
and this mega analyst yeah exactly then this <laughs> then this ib analyst could yeah. do it would take an uh, you know someone in ib yeah. like 20 hours to do this yeah. they it yeah. can do it in three seconds yeah. so it's, no, look, it's two things. Not, I, I listen to anything and everything that Stan Druckenmiller says, and he was long AI like a year ago, and like long Nvidia, and you know, I just like like a monkey just did the same. Um, and I think the impact is going to be obviously lasting and transformative. I just question, like, I think there will be obviously troughs of you know local tops and highs, uh, local yeah. tops, and uh, but um, the other thing that I saw recently is that it is now able, like Chat GPT is now able to search. The internet, like it was constrained. Yes. The data set was constrained. It's to like not constrained really, until September 2021. It is now updates from websites in real time, which that's is fast really cool. which is really actually really really useful. Yeah, um, you can also have it write code. So I saw this video on online. I haven't done this yet, but someone wrote like, "Hey, take emails, yeah, put that, them in here, do the oh. age, take a picture of that," and it was just a whiteboarded yeah. thing, and it was like turn yeah. this into code. Yeah. There's there's like a guy who's like, "This is the this is the front page. This is how one would look." Took a picture and then boom, right? Or you can just screenshot a website, put it into ChatGPT, and be like, create the create the the code for this front end. I <laughs> saw so the one. This is uh, two, two ones are really funny. One is like kids will never do homework again, and it was like uh, they took a screenshot of, of of the of the homework, and it was like it was math, and they were like, yeah, these are the answers. <laughs> and yeah, then the other one's like this guy took a picture of like you know like parking signs. Are oh, I saw that too. Yeah, yeah. He was like, I will never get a parking violation ever again because it's like, hey, ChatGPT, can I park here? And it's like. And it was like six different like things. And you're like, what the hell? Uh, it was so confusing. And then of course it says, yes, you can park here for an hour. It's like, perfect. Thank you. Crazy. <laughs> That's great. Crazy. Um, the evaluations, I think the down, so open AI is this unique, like it's very one-off thing, but I think there's a lot of AI companies raising it like a hundred, you know, $500 billion right now. I, I'm sure you've seen some of these and yeah. they're, you know, they're doing like a million of revenue. The thing I would caution is I'm sure you're, you're seeing some of these secondaries that are going on. The secondaries are getting worse and worse and worse in crypto right now. There is a company that did. And general tech too. Yeah. They raised this company. I just saw this week raised it. I'm trying not to, I don't want to give them away, but they, they raised it a, over, over a billion. They are not raising it. Their, 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 their revenue is $3 million. They're right running now. out of cash. Because they're yeah. two, three years, they're two and a half years into doing the last raise, which is where most companies are right now, and they have less than twelve months of runway. They're figuring out how to keep themselves keep right. the lights. So, the, so they raised it. They raised it, you know, over a billion. They're doing three to four million in revenue right now. It sounds like it's closer to three million. The a hundred x multiple, hundred x revenue multiple would just be would be three hundred million. So the so the to get to the last valuation, you'd have to raise it like a three hundred to four hundred x revenue multiple obviously that can't happen so to not die because they're not close to profitability or they either have to cut like 80 percent of their team get to profitability or they have to go raise more money but if they do that best case they raise a down round worst case they have to do a whole total recap um just a nightmare situation yeah look i mean this is probably when we think about the, the things that i caution founders to do is like be careful with raising a, a step function like round that is just taking the highest valuation because down the road, you're going to have issues most likely like growing into that valuation is going to be tough. The options that you issue to your employees are going to be priced at that last round. And invariably, if you don't live up to that expectation, probabilistically you won't then you're going to have to do a massive recap, cram everyone down to your employee. And, and then how do you go from there? Like the morale is just going to suck. Like people can be like, wait, wait a minute. I got issued options at a billion and now this thing's worth 30 million. <laughs> Seriously. Hmm. Like they're doing 3 million in revenue. God, I mean, that's a 30 million. Like, that's, <laughs> are they profitable? Maybe they're cranking like a million and whatever EBITDA. Again, you shouldn't price these things necessarily on profitability, but like this was like what people were saying. You shouldn't price it on profitability. You know, it's a huge market, yada, yada. But now rates are where they are. Like, yeah, profitability is front and center. What are unit economics? What's your retention? Like, these are things that like, it was, uh, I mean, talking about the things that are so difficult, it's like, ima imagine if you're a fund, you love that product. You, you think that company's worth at that time, probably like 200 million, maybe. And there comes a fund and gives them a billion dollar valuation. like, And that happens over and over and over again for six years. 
like I would like it, it's really tough to hold the line and not and not just say you know I, I need to just I need to dance everyone's doing it yep. and so like that's where I think those type of investors are going to be heavily rewarded right now because those type same folks that love the company like the team passed it a billion now might have the capital to give it to them and end up owning a huge chunk of the company uh at much more favorable realistic terms yeah. but you know yeah it's tough it's ask, really tough let me ask you about these secondary deals that are happening or i guess not secondary deals these token deals these locked token deals that are happening from foundation so optimism this might have been last week but optimism they sold a couple of hundred million or so. I think it was 117 million. Yeah. Um, I don't know the the facts on this, but what, what I heard is it was roughly a 30% discount to your lockup or to your vest. Seems um, about right. I think seven funds took it down. It sounded like Andreessen probably took down about half of it. It's not not fact. I just, this is what I heard um, yeah. in some group chats. What, uh, how do you think about doing those? Do you do those deals? Do you skip on all those deals? Do you just, you know, just case by case? Well, as it relates to lock tokens, no, but at foundation tokens, yeah. I mean, I think um, it makes a whole lot of sense at the right terms. I think when you think about why it would trade at a discount, it's for two reasons, right? It's a it's, or one particularly, it's the marketability of it. <clears throat> like the the liquidity discount needs to be there, and usually is at least twenty percent. Depends on the lockup, but it has to be at least a year lockup. And I think it was at least fifteen twenty percent. And I've done a number of those deals. Look, it makes sense, right? I mean, if the foundation goes out and sells in the open market, only the Ethereum foundation is at that position where ETH is just that grown in that level of size. And there's big, big constituent holders of Ethereum, like Joe Lubin consensus is a bunch. And like right. the Ethereum foundation, just it's, there's different, very big parties that hold a lot of ETH. And so the Ethereum foundation could just go out and sell, you know, in Coinbase. But for every other more fragile team like i think the signaling is stronger if you place those tokens in hands of investors that are committing to holding and and believe in long term i I don't know if a16c was part of it but they were investors in the earlier rounds of optimism for them it just makes more sense to acquire a position the signaling is super strong um you know there's there's ways to go about it i think this is where people get critical it's like wait a minute why didn't you offer this deal to retail and you know the challenges associated with that. Unfortunately, the investor accreditation rule is like is a short of it. And Can't it sucks. It. And it kind of it really sucks. Like, why shouldn't retail that's been an investor in optimism, believes it, understands it technically, can't participate in this type of deal? And lawyers will like shoot it down because of the lack of clarity in an in investor accreditation. So you wonder, like that that's harm, right? Like all of a sudden we've equated knowledgeability to wealth. Which, by the way, I met really rich, dumb people and really smart people that haven't made money because they're early in their career for whatever reason. And the fact that we, we've we just set this arbitrary standard in the U.S. of who can invest in these things or not, and we've excluded the vast majority of the population from these type of opportunities is, is ridiculous. Yep. It really is. The amount of wealth creation that has happened in the private markets is astounding, and only very few people have been able to participate. Oh, and then you wonder why inequality is on the rise in the U.S. since the global financial crisis. Like, well, guys, like, update the goddamn rules. Have sophistication tests, knowledgeability tests. But, you know, no, we can't do that. Um, but these deals make a lot of sense. Like, Lido did a number of these. Yeah. Uh, and and the, found, the fund, like Paradigm, did it. And they came and they posted on the blog and the community like responded and they had to prove their worth. And then the terms were very openly negotiated and then voted on upon Lido holders. Yeah. And then another fund came and they were not, they were rejected, right? Uh, yep. No name fund. <laughs> uh, and so, you know, it's, it's, it's happening in the open, I think is really interesting. Um, and uh, so, yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I'm a generally a big fan of, of doing these things in an orderly manner, you know, the, the team needs to get runway and, you know, I, I understand why they would want to do it right to secure the runway founder right. selling and foundation selling for the right reasons and the right amount makes a lot of sense. I have, I have no problems with that. A lot of people are really critical of founder selling. I'm like, no 
of course, like 99% of their net worth is tied in this company they've been working on for so many years. Do you think they're going to be less or more distracted if they diversify? Like it's stressful, right? So I, I'm a big believer in-, in I think there's a, yeah, I agree with that. There's I a think fine there's a, when a founder comes and says, I'm going to sell 90 of my stack, you're like, okay. There's a danger. Go. There's a, the most dangerous place for a founder to be is someone to have a little bit of financial comfort but not too much financial comfort. So what I mean by that is I've seen some founders take hundred million in secondary, right? The founder of Hopin, there's a crypto company founder who they raised a lot. Founder took hundred million in secondary. That is too much secondary. That, that in my mind really disincentivizes you. The, the other side of that spectrum is a founder who's never taken secondary, has no money and is super stressed about money every day. You can't take the risks you need to take to kind of can't stay on the cutting edge of your company. So I think the the, the most dangerous place for a founder to be is in a, in a good way is having a little bit of financial cushion, but yeah, still yeah, all eyes on the out. company. Some yeah. amount. Yeah. I've done this a number of times and I think it's quite healthy. Like, yeah, I like that. I have, you know, so like Vitalik, like look at, look at historically Vitalik has sold a bunch. He sold at six. He sold at 18. He sold at 18 and everyone freaked out. The double went down to six again. And that was, you know, it's like, guys, like. Remember when ETH dropped 10% because we thought Vitalik got hit by a car? <laughs> oh, no, I forgot about that. Yeah. Fragile time. I, I mean, I remember when Vitalik sold, he sold a bunch of his stack. At, I think it was 18 bucks. I went down all the way to nine. I'm like, guys, what's wrong? I mean, he sold like X percent. Like, yeah. it's kind of normal. But. Yeah. In, in, mar- in bear markets, people just want a reason to. to the market skews neg- negative and it just reads everything is, as interprets everything that comes out as negative. And so it's like, okay, yeah, you know that you're, you know, you're in a bear market when, when that happens. Right. So we have two pods coming up. I think this is a good place to wrap the two pods. We've got you, Tommy and Ryan. That'll yes. be fun. Um, yeah, that was really fun. We had two guys from blockchain capital, Spencer Bogart and Alex to, to the GPs of blockchain capital. So yeah, really excited for that conversation. It was a pretty good one. Um, and yeah, Monday and Tuesday, those both drop. Really excited for those. Uh, drops a comment. Um, as people have noticed, I'm more active on the comments on YouTube. So drops a comment if you like those conversations. Uh, I like when I people think. tweeted us. I like. I like. Uh, yeah, I like. That's true. I, like I mean, obviously, on the, on the I, I, I'm. I'm more active on Twitter. So no one's nice on YouTube. Everyone's a dick to me on YouTube. <laughs> Most I well, pod, I went on this podcast called MFM My First Million. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like one of the biggest podcasts in the world right now, and I went on it and. <laughs> Let me like these comments are just oh, ripping God, me right now. Nice. Oh, well, I will say if you shave your head, I think there would be interesting comments. <laughs> I'm, I'm not gonna, first of all, and well, actually, one other thing. Um, you won't say it, but I will. I noticed that you guys were won an award. Blockworks did like top in like there's this awards of it's most oh, yeah, innovative companies. Cool. Like, can you can you just uh, LinkedIn publishes for the last seven years? LinkedIn has published their top 50 us startups list and all these great companies have been on like brax and this year the number one was ramp if you know ramp um number two was uh liquid death there's it's a really fun list and i i always read it this so yesterday i'm sitting in the office and you had no have, idea i know i no idea a lot of these lists you have to pay for yeah, or like, yeah. like the Forbes, like Forbes 30 under 30 is like, you know, you get a nod from like the, the venture partner and one of his analysts is like, hey, can you name him 30 under 30? So yeah, Forbes, we we also got Forbes 30 under 30, didn't have to pay, but like there's definitely like a, hey, who do you know type of game. Yeah, There's yeah. all these other lists like Cranes and Inc. 500. You have to pay money to be on those lists. And so link, LinkedIn, you, you don't have, no one ever reached out to us. I was sitting in the office and we have this new reporter, Jack, uh, Dow DeFi reporter, and um He's like, hey, we got, we're, this is super cool. We're on the top, we're on LinkedIn's 31st best US startup to to work at. And I was like, that seems like a scam. Like, see, it's probably a fake list. He's like, no, no, I'm reading it. It's on LinkedIn.com. Sure enough. Yeah, BlockWorks sitting at number 31. It's pretty cool. Nice, dude. Congrats. Yeah. Thanks, brother. Good stuff. Uh, I don't check LinkedIn. Uh, I haven't checked in a while, but I saw it on Twitter, so. Yeah, it's cool. Yeah, this year it's their top LinkedIn news story. This year's fifty startups to watch. You click it, scroll down, and they called us a software development firm. So not sure they know what we do, but that's okay. Oh, hey, <laughs> maybe they're giving you uh, credit for the research analytics. Yeah, exactly. Platform. Exactly. We we have some good software here. So yeah, sweet man. Awesome. Uh, any books stuff that you're watching? 
I'm reading the new Elon book. Oh, well, that was well, yeah, the Walter Isaacson Elon book. Yeah, it's nominated as one of the best books. And Financial Times says it's like the probably the best like top books of the year yeah. kind of awards, and that's one of them. I guess I see Walter Isaacson. I'm a simple man. Walter Isaacson puts out a biography. I read the book. So, <laughs> God, yeah, Sim- simple man. Leonardo, uh, Codebreaker, mm-hmm. Einstein, Steve the innovators, Jobs. Steve Jobs. Um, yeah, those are those are all great. What about you? Indeed. Nothing. I'm out of content, nice. guys. I need I need content. Um, I uh, again, this acquired podcast. I've been going through all of them. LVMH. I've had some. I've had some deep, like acquired podcast. Dives. Really good. Yeah. LVMH, Nvidia, Costco, Taylor Swift. I'm, I want to listen to next. Uh, the uh, NFL was a good one too. NFL is on the NFL list too. Yeah. yeah, no, it's a, a really nice discovery, and I really have enjoyed. You know, so I've I've talked to one of those guys a couple times just on Twitter DMs. One, they record like ten hours of content and drill it down yeah. for a four hour podcast, and they don't talk to each other before the podcast. So like. They wow. will be like, we're going to record. They a do Nike extensive episode. research. I mean, I think they'll this be like, we're going to do a Nike episode. They'll be like, great. Like see you in a month for this episode. I mean, they talk a little bit, but they don't talk about their research at all. So it's brand new. So they'll get on the, the Nike episode. They'll be like, yeah, I read this thing. And the other person's like, oh my God, I didn't know that. Or, oh my God, I read the exact same thing. That's so cool. Uh, anyways. I they surface it. a lot of, like the LVMH one is fascinating. I had very little understanding of how that came together and. That was the NVIDIA one was excellent. That's where I started. And I was like, okay, really thorough, really good. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, anyways, that's what I'm doing. Cool, man. And running, and running of course. <laughs> that's the pod. That's Let's the wrap. pod. That's, that's the it. Pod. Under an hour. So, folks, uh, thanks for listening. As always, uh, we will see you here next next week. In see you on Monday and see you on Tuesday. Back to backs. Back to Have a good weekend, folks. I'm doing my homework. You're keeping me busy. Thank you. <laughs>